Welcome to Heroic Hearts Podcast, where we will explore the heroic journeys of St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese of Lisieux to heal, inspire, and re-enchant our own hearts. All right, greetings, everyone. Hello, this is Amy Chase, and I am uh, here with Walter Emerson. Hello, Walter. Hello, Amy. I'm uh, happy to be here. Oh, me too. And uh, as you know, I'm just getting back from my trip to France where I made a pilgrimage uh, in honor of Joan of Arc. So we'll mention a little bit of that today. But uh, to all of our listeners, we've been um, we've been on a recording break while I've been on the pilgrimage. So a little bit rusty here. <laughs> I hope you will uh, you'll bear with us. Well, uh, that. That is our, your uh, trip. That is our enchanting moment, by the way. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. I don't want to, I don't want to compare my enchanting moment to your enchanting moment. (laughs) Well, why don't you, um, why why don't you share with us yours and then I'll, I'll say just a a few words about my trip. Well, actually my enchanting moment is sort of uh, piggybacking off of your trip because, um, Amy was kind enough to, uh, send me some communications when she could. And, uh, it was absolutely delightful, which, you know, by the way, for the, for the listeners, um, I, I have not been on a pilgrimage to, uh, in the footsteps of St. Joan. And so it's, it's something that, uh, badly my wife and I, Josie and I badly want to do, mm-hmm. uh, want to do so much and we've just not had the opportunity. So it was really amazing when Amy could share like some videos and some photos, uh, of, 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 of the sites and, and Orly, you know, the, the video at Orleans at the, at the cathedral was really nice. So my enchanting moment was really just sort of, uh, living vicariously Aww. through, <laughs> through you on, on your trip, but we really appreciated uh, seeing those. And it's, and it's very powerful, very meaningful. And so I looked, uh, I, I looked at you as the heroic hearts field journalist out <laughs> in the field doing <laughs> our work. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you for that. That's encouraging. And I will try to get um, many of those pictures and videos up on our Instagram. Uh, And so those of you who are not following us on Instagram, you can find us at heroic, the numeral two and hearts. So heroic two hearts uh, with the two being a numeral heroic hearts was already taken. So we we are heroic two hearts. Um, Please follow us. And I will be sharing pictures and videos in the coming days because it was an incredible experience and I'm so thankful for it. Well, thanks for sharing all that with us. Yes. So if if I could pick just one enchanting moment uh, among the many, uh, and there were so many, I I would have to go with our stay in Joan's village and birthplace of Dom Remy, which was just incredible. And to this day, it, it's in the French countryside. It's beautiful. It, it's like better than a movie, you know, like it is. It's so you've got, you've got um, the sheep in the, in the pasture and, and everything's green. And you've got the, the Meuse, the river that just kind of wanders, meanders through, um, through her little village. It's, it's perfect. And it, to this day, it is still a quiet, sleepy little village, maybe a hundred inhabitants. Um, and it's just tucked away. And, <laughs> and yet you are like right there where Joan was born, where she lived, um, where she lived. That, out for, that's her, amazing. Her it adds, it adds so much to everything we've been, we've been yes. talking about. 
Yes. And to be drawn out of that into the life that she lived, that's amazing. Oh, it, it's incredible because um, it, it had to have been such a, um, a, a such an abrupt transition because it really is this, this quiet, idyllic countryside. And then you go into basically the throes of, of siege warfare, you know, and right. For and for a young woman who's who's never experienced that, uh, it just it continues to amaze me uh, what That's she accomplished. Wonderful. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I I want to go there and then just stay there. So <laughs> indeed, I, I yes, I've, I've had enough of the way. siege warfare out here. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so enough of Joan. We are here this season. Oh, there's never about Saint Therese, <laughs> but of course the two are are sisters, and um, you know they're spiritual sisters and. Of course, we we can't ever really talk about one without the other. Very true. Yeah, and and, it's, and it is nice that we've uh, we've broken them up, but they really do uh, t- together. They both ins- they've inspired us, and so it only makes sense. But you kind of have to talk about them individually to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah, just to just to understand each one, and then we can bring them together again in our, our minds and our hearts. Um, speaking of our hearts, Walter, would you lead us in our prayer of the heroic hearts? Certainly. Thank you. So we'll pray the uh, prayer of the heroic hearts in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. O sacred heart of Jesus, form in us missionary hearts, hearts that burn to spread your faith, heroic hearts of the cross, wanting always and everywhere to bear witness to you. Make us ready to suffer, to show our love. And like our sisters, St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese, grant us the desire to conquer for you all the hearts of the universe. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Thank you. Well, today we're going to be talking about chapters five and six in Heather King's book, Shirt of Flame, which is about the life of St. Therese. It's in fact, it's a year with St. Therese. So these chapters represent May and June in her, in her telling of the story. Um, But we'll start with chapter five with May. And that chapter is titled Poverty, Chastity, and Obedience. And the subtitle is On Radical Social Conscience. So, Walter, do you want to share with us a little bit about what you think Heather means with that? Well, sure. And I have to stress again with uh, the listeners, this is just a fascinating book and I think masterfully written. So, uh, you know, uh, Heather King does a really nice job of, I think, drawing out things that perhaps many of us, at least I sort of overlooked in all my life. I've had a lifelong devotion to St. Therese. In fact, she's, I was converted to the church on the feast day of, of St. Therese, mm-hmm. and she's been my companion all along. She's the one that taught me about about St. Joan. And so uh, not that I consider myself some, you know, scholarly expert, but I certainly am not a new per- new person. But Heather really gets us to see things that we, we, didn't, we didn't really see. And something that um, I think, you know, that she gets at in this chapter and I, I think many of us and many listeners will say that, yes, they, they do know it and we did know it, which is the degree to which St. Therese had a great desire to save souls, yes. obviously, and to help a priest and to be a missionary and to, and to do all these things. I, I think the really uh, a brilliant way that Heather brings this out, though, is is we see it from a slightly different perspective, or at least a perspective that really drove it home to me, which was the degree to which we could say, uh, see Therese's sort of her, she said, radical social conscious, her her active life, that she 
she actually saw going into the Carmel, going into a, a contemplative life as being an act of the active life. I mean, it was, it was, it was contemplative, but she, she didn't go into the Carmel to just have a nice life. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm, I'm going to have a nice quiet life where we, we pray all the time and um, I can have some good meals and, you know, comp, uh, you know, the comforts of, of course she didn't, you know, have that, that illusion. But she didn't go in with with that idea. She went in with the idea that she was really giving her life uh, in an active way for the conversion of sinners and the support of priests and, and this. Yeah. And Heather, you know, she she stresses that and she does a really a, a really nice job of of pointing that out. And in there's fact, a real, there's a real paradox there for us to explore yeah. because well, it, well, there there is. And in fact, Amy, I'll, I'll mention one quote that uh, that Heather has, and that's. When Therese entered Carmel, then she entered into solidarity with all prisoners by becoming one herself. And I thought that was beautifully written was that she joined in solidarity with those who were enclosed, with those who suffered. And it was an act of solidarity. I think that's a great way yeah. she put it. And, and and Heather continues on with, with other um experiences that that Therese enters into solidarity with, uh, not just the prisoner, but of all kinds of struggles that we face um, in our world today. And, and there's a way that you can, whatever you're going through, you can see in that struggle, you can see something of Therese's um, own struggles and of her triumph, ultimately. Yeah. And she, um, you know, one of the, one of the challenges and, you know, what we, we oftentimes will have questions and things for the listener to think about. And, and actually, you know, Heather sort of has my, my question for me. And that is, how does that, how do, how do we view that in our own lives? Yeah. So it, it you know, Therese, as you just said, Amy, Therese would be in the, the Carmel and she would be really, she suffered a lot with, the people around her, I think most people know that who know the this, this, this story, is that it was not an easy life. It was a life of, of struggling, of being around people that could oftentimes be somewhat irritating and being in, in challenging situations. And unlike the rest of us who can just get in our car and take off if we would just want to get away, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they, they can't do that. And yet she she didn't see that as an act of I just need to tolerate this. Um, she's really saw it as acts of love that I, I am in union with. I'm, I am unifying myself with all of you who are suffering in the same way. And there's something very mystically connecting about that mm -hmm. that I think we overlook in modern society. I mean, there's a mystical connection that we so often miss in this materialistic world. One, one of the things I love about her ability to see and receive those mystical connections is the story with the, um, the criminal, the murderer Panzini. Right. Um, because she really felt a, a mystical, mystical connection and she saw something in, in that experience for her own life. What would you tell us that story? Well, yeah, the, um, she was trying to discern, uh, you know, this, calling that she felt what we're what we're describing i mean she really did want to 
give her life and, and, and to see Carmel as, as a way of not escaping the world or not getting away so I can personally try to ascend to heaven on my own in my own little Carmelite cell um, or some of these, you know, wild uh, stereotypes that sometimes we might have, but that she really was trying to think, how, how can I help save souls? How can a just sort of a regular, small, little person like me how can I save souls in a, in a big way? I think this is just a powerfully big question. I think you could stop for a minute right there and just say, have we asked ourselves that? Have we asked ourselves that? Um, I don't know about the, the listeners, but there, there is a struggle with relevancy in the world today. And, you know, you, I don't know about the rest of you, but it's pretty easy when you sort of dive into the world and dive into the world of social media and everything to, to kind of feel like, what's the use? Uh, you know, there's, I don't know. It's just, I'm out of here. Uh, and kind of a thing and see Therese was not, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and see, unfortunately, that can be my tendency sometimes to just say, look, um, you know, I'm, I'm heading out. Uh, I don't see what I can do. There's nothing but a bunch of noise out here and, and, and I'm gone. And so and she was she was the opposite of that. She dove. Therese dove into the world by diving into Carmel. And that's mm-hmm. that's the mystery and, and the paradox. So the Panzini thing that you mentioned was he was a criminal that was going to be guillotined. I think they were still guillotine in, in those days, yes. but uh, he was, uh, you know, had been, I guess, found guilty or accused of murder or whatever. And he was an unrepentant uh, sinner. So he was a hardened, unrepentant sinner. So he's not unlike many people that we see today. And she prayed to, to the Lord asking for, um, uh, you know, guidance as to are her desires uh, true? Are they really his will? Are they what uh, that he wants her to do? And the very next morning, she read about the last second conversion of Panzini. As he was getting ready to be executed, the priest offered as a last chance, <laughs> here's, a, here's a crucifix if you, for one last chance. And this unrepentant, totally you know, obnoxious yeah. person grabbed that crucifix and kissed it. And she took that as... Her sign that she's sign that the Lord had heard her prayers for his salvation. Well, she she calls him her first child. That's a fascinating phrase when you really think about it. She she became. She really is to many of us a, a mother. She's a sister. It's it's easy to think of her as a sister because you know we she lived to be 24. She was, you know, young. Um, and it's easy to see her as a sister, but I think that that you know, we have to look at her as a, as a little mother, uh, as well. Yeah. And so yeah. she, she considered him to be her, her first, her first child. And so, uh, it's, it is, I think it's really remarkable. And, uh, in fact, I think it's a great challenge for all of us. Uh, those of us who are tired, we wonder, you know, why we're fighting the battle out there and there's so much noise, so much contrariness and, you know, Therese, she's, she's so much stronger than all the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. We we think, we, we think, you know, Therese a little, she was a nun and she wrote such nice things that she's so much stronger than the rest of us. Therese dove into the world. She dove into the world in a bigger way than any of us 
have ever attempted. Yeah. Well, um, on the tail end of that story is, um, is where my question comes from, my reflective question for us. And that is that have, have we ever prayed for a sign from God and received it? And what meaning did that have for us? Um, and I think sometimes we're, you know, we, all, we often want a sign and yet we're afraid to ask for one because asking for one means one of two things. Either one, you, you're afraid you won't get it and then you're disappointed or two, you do get it. And now there's, there's almost a, a demand of faith that, that goes along with that. Now you have to believe in the sign. I think that's a great point. I was actually thinking of that too, when I was talking, because I find that to be challenging as well, that if you notice in Teresa's story, there, there's sort of a seamless uh, spirituality with her. So now maybe she struggled with it more than we thought, or, you know, you don't know just from the writings, but it certainly appears it was fairly seamless that she prayed. There was a great act of conversion and she simply accepted it as that's yes. the sign. Yeah. And I think accepting that is, is a great sign of, of faith. And, um, you know, what it kind of reminds me of a little bit is uh, the story of, of Zechariah and his, his um, um, meeting with the angel and our Holy Mother's meeting with the angel. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's people bring up a lot of times, you know, that both of them ask questions. Yes. You know, so it's like Zechariah was like, well, how can this be? Zechariah, who would be the father of uh, John the Baptist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for the clarification. Uh -huh. But the father of John the Baptist. And so his wife, Elizabeth, cousin of, of Mother Mary. And so he he questioned, you know, wait a minute, <laughs> we're pretty old and everything. And and so our lady got actually a more challenging <laughs> question <laughs> beyond just being old what she was positioned with. And, and, and our lady also asked, a, 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 you know, a question and a, a, about it. And, and I'm no expert on this, but I read beautiful commentaries about the difference. You know, Zachariah was somewhat chastised and he was unable to speak until his son was born. And yet, uh, and yet our lady answered perfectly in a state of grace. And I've read some beautiful commentaries on, well, why, what was different about her her questioning of the angel versus Zachariah. And it, it seems like it sort of hinged around this point we're talking about with Therese that Therese prayed for a sign and she had complete faith that she had received the sign. Yes. And that, that was kind of like our lady was that she had questions, but she had absolute perfect faith in that. Whereas with Zachariah, there could have been some maybe some questioning or, you know, and that'd be, that'd be me over there. Mm -hmm. But, but I think that, uh, I think that her, her faith was almost, you know, seamless like that. Whereas, you know, I'm, I'm like you, Amy, when, when asking for signs is kind of troubling, I, I don't always know what to make of it because sometimes am I doubting God mm -hmm. if I do that? Yeah. And yet Therese shows us that it's okay to ask for signs. Yeah. She did. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She, she asked for signs, but. And I think the, um, the difference. So sometimes we maybe feel that when we ask for a sign from God, we're kind of challenging God. And, and that isn't it at all for her. I think it's, it's that she's giving the Lord an opportunity to uh, reveal his abundant love in her life. 
Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, she's giving the Lord an opportunity. Um, you know, one one thing I read from a lot of spiritual writers, I'm, I, I mean, I've, it's something that sort of has melded into one thing, and I think it comes from a number of different spiritual writers and, and saints. But is that that Jesus? He wants to, he wants to engage with us. He likes it when we talk to him and ask yes. him questions and asking for help because he mm-hmm. he is. Yeah. He is there for us. And so sometimes when I'm afraid to do that, I think I might be pushing myself away or putting a barrier between myself and the Lord because right. I don't want to ask when in fact he's sitting there saying, right. well, I'm your friend. If we have a relationship, why yeah. can't you ask me? Yeah. Yes. I think the, the problem is me, not Therese. I think <laughs> she, she's got the right idea. I, um, I've been praying a novena with some friends. We started on the Feast of the Sacred Heart and ended today, which happens to be First Friday as we're recording this. And so we were doing the, um, the prayer, uh, which is associated with the Sacred Heart, where um, you three times, you know, you, um, the words are something to the effect of, um, uh, you know, Lord Jesus, you, you have said, ask and you shall receive and, um, you know, anything that you ask and then in my father's name, he will give it to you and knock and the door shall be open. You know, it, it, it goes through that whole litany and, um, and it, and it's, it's beautiful. Like the Lord, of course he knows what we need and of course he can just give it. And, and, and he's always working his will in our, our life, but he wants to have us ask it. And I think, I think there's a greater blessing in it, in, in our, our receiving the gift, if we've asked for it with in, in all faith and humility. Oh, I think that's really uh, very inspiring and very helpful, Amy. And I think that really reflects what, you know, St. Therese, what St. Therese did, because I struggle myself uh, with that. What, what a lot of times what I found to be very helpful with myself is, is just asking qu- uh, questions. So sometimes I struggle with you know, asking for a sign, but there are, there are times when I will ask questions and just say, Mm -hmm. Lord, I I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know, Lord, I don't understand. And then it's remarkable how often I will receive, you know, one of those intuitive moments, you know, where you have, and, you know, we, you and I have talked offline before Amy, you know, you know, Edith Stein is also one of my big heroes, St. Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, uh, but one of the, her fa- her phrases was an unreflective certainty, mm-hmm. and th- we have those moments of intuition. They're not something we sat around and deducted logically yes. or put a syllogism uh-huh. together with a major premise mm-hmm. and a minor mm-hmm. premise. It wasn't something like that. It was just an, an intuition that comes into our our heart and our mind, in which we are certain of what we're just certain of what we receive. And I think she had a beautiful way of putting it, called an unreflective certainty. And and I think that. It's amazing that, and I have experienced that with the Lord, where I will sometimes just pray and just ask questions, like I don't, I don't know, I don't understand, or whatever. And then maybe soon, maybe in a day or two, but to suddenly receive an inspiration where I just say, "I, I, I Amy, I couldn't explain to you why I'm certain of it. I, I mean, there's no way I could like do a scientific proof." That's not the point of it. The point of it is, is I received that moment of certainty that I was looking for. And in a sense, that might be uh, along the lines of what what Therese did. But I think hers is probably a much more beautiful and childlike way uh, of, of doing it, which is to go to the Lord and ask him. Oh, yes. It's, 
<laughs> I way is always more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's beautiful. It, it's beautiful to uh, meditate on these these things through the life of Saint Therese, um, because she did live such a, a generous life and and such a, a full life. You know, um, I, it, Heather kind of ends this um, part of the this chapter with um, reminding us again of Therese's statement, I choose all. We remember that story from, yes. from her childhood. I choose all. And, um, and, and we see that she, she wanted it all. She wanted to be the missionary. She wanted to be a priest. She wanted to be, um, a, a, a warrior like, like Joan. Uh, and yet she chose the life of, of hiddenness and contemplation in Carmel because that was where she believed that she could fulfill all those things most fully. Well, and that's such a paradox again. It, well, it is. And, and, you know, you just reminded me, think about uh, this, Amy. Uh, there's another piece in the chapter where she, where Heather quotes uh, spiritual writer, Ron uh, Rollheiser. I don't know if I got that name right. Um, and it's a quote from him that says, for Therese, chastity meant two interpenetrating things, reverence and the capacity and willingness to carry unresolved tension. And Heather brings out this notion of Therese carrying unresolved tension. I had never thought about before. It's the, it's the most logical next thought to what you just said. I think most of us and probably most of the listeners are aware that she, she was in Carmel and she wanted to be a priest. And I mean, she knew she couldn't be, but she wanted to help priests and save and give them strength. And she wanted to save souls. And she was doing it all while she was cloistered in the Carmel. I think most of us are kind of familiar with that story. And, I, and Heather does a nice job of moving moving the thought and the terminology to one notch further, which is she was dealing with unresolved uh, uh, tension. And she, and she did that um, purposely. I mean, she went into that environment and she was willing to engage that unresolved tension. Now, I don't know about you or the listener, but I think most of us have a lot of unresolved tensions. We, we want to do this, but we want to do that. We feel this way, but we feel that way. We're not sure about which way to go here. We want to go this way. We want to go that way. And we get so confused and have all these unresolved tensions in our life. And we, if you're like, if you're like me, you often consider those bad things. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be that way. And, um, and yet Therese seemed to welcome that. Yeah. Like that was part of her suffering. That was part of her sacrifice. And, you know, another thing Heather brings out, which I think most of our listeners also know is the, in her little way, you know, she, she had said she didn't do great acts of penances, not that you shouldn't do great acts of penances, but she said, I'm small and I'm weak, mm-hmm. but she offered all of her activities, every little thing that she did for the salvation of souls. And I think this unresolved uh, tension is, is one of those. That whereas I want to escape from that tension, I want to do something to give me peace and get rid of it. She embraced it as a act of sacrifice. And I think that, at least that's what it appears to me. And then I think Heather kind of brings out, and it's another big difference between me and St. Therese and why I need to be more like her. <laughs> well, let's let's move from unresolved tension to illusions, because that is the topic of the next chapter, chapter six, uh, the Therese at the convent. And so um, the, the subtitle being on shedding our illusions. How, first of all, did did Therese have any illusions about the Carmel? And, and I, I think Heather 
kind of answers that for us. So she she had maybe very little illusions, but we have so many illusions in our in our lives, and that's something that we struggle to um, to deal with. Well, yes, and and that's the thing. Another thing I think Heather brings out very well with Therese is Heather continually demonstrates to us. And I think this is just something I'm so grateful that she did, and the reason I think that her writing is so valuable is so many nuances that give us, uh, that draws the real, sort of a a real more whole picture, holistic picture of St. Therese out. And and perhaps I'm just projecting my situation on everybody else. I've always focused a lot on, you know, the the little flower and the, you know, uh, Jesus is walking through his garden of flowers and some of us can be violets and and roses and and all these beautiful, beautiful, allegories and metaphors that Therese used. I think a lot of us are very familiar with all these things. In fact, calling herself a little flower. And she wrote in these very beautiful Baroque style of prose of these beautiful thoughts of heaven, of Jesus's garden of souls. And Heather kind of brings out the fact that she was not experiencing that in her life. You think about, um, if you think about Therese as being, um, you know, that her life was just, she was sort of floating above the ground. Uh, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. She was actually living in a very, uh, very real world in a very, aggra- in, at times, aggravating environment. Yeah. And, I, I love the quote. Heather has a quote here, not to put too fine a point on it, but the cloister was brimming with neurotics and misfits. Right. <laughs> Isn't that just like our own lives? Well, it's just, it's just like, exactly. It's just, they weren't all floating around with wings that quite honestly, and we know this from Therese's own writings, Therese doesn't say it in these words because Therese is far too charitable and uh, good in the way that she, she puts it. But uh, many of wh- whom she was you know, running around with were apparently quite annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and people that, you know, we can, we can jump in the car and take off, but they, they can't do that. And so she was around that. So to get to your original question was, she, she, she really didn't have any, any big illusions. And so she's so much stronger than maybe sometimes we give her credit for. She was incredibly insightful. Um, you know, we think of her as the, you know, the young teenager, she wants mm-hmm. to be Carmel. Um, and again, perhaps I'm projecting some of my own, but so, sometimes it. Early on in my devotion to her, I, I wondered sometimes if she wasn't sort of an idealistic person. You mm-hmm. know, she was a young uh, girl. She got into Carmel. Maybe she had some sort of, you know, those that sense of idealism of uh, unreal idealism that a lot of us had when we were when we were younger. And but she certainly comes across, and Heather really draws on this is a much stronger, mature soul than than maybe we we give her credit for that she really didn't. She, yes, she was young when she went in, but she didn't have any major. She knew what it was going to be like. And yeah, so you know, I, I was close to twice Teresa's age when she entered the convents. Okay, so she entered Carmel at age 15 or so. Right. And I got married close to the age of 30. So I'm, I'm double her age, essentially. And yet I had so many more illusions about marriage. In fact, I thought that. I was just going to sail through marriage because 
I was, you know, because we were, we were special and we were different and we were just going to like avoid all those pitfalls that other people fall into. And most of all, I had faith in myself, which turned out to be horribly misplaced. Um, And I learned that the hard way, but uh, yeah, so that shedding of illusions was a really painful process and it has taken me all these years to do it. And, And yet, you know, Therese somehow was able to see through the illusion, see, able to see them for what they were and, and not fall into that trap. Well, I think that's a really great uh, example that you use because, you know, going into a, a Carmelite monastery is very much like uh, it, it is a, a wedding vow uh, for them. In fact, Therese even wrote her own uh, wedding, wedding invitation. invitation. <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> she wrote her own wedding invitation where the King of Heaven invites you to the marriage, the of, marriage of his son. Uh, oh, I know. Yeah, I yeah with her, you know, the Queen of Heaven invites yeah. you to marry her son. So anyway, that was, but that was really good. But it is a, it is a really good analogy because that's one example among, uh, among a number of them that we, that I think we all s- struggle with uh, illusions. It could be in marriage. It could be in uh, our profession, uh-huh. it yeah. could be. I know you were in the in the in the military, and I'm sure there were some illusions that you ran across. Oh, definitely, you know? yeah. yeah. And, and it was no different than mine when I got out of college and I was uh, really going to uh, take over the world, which which didn't come to fruition, by the way. But I was going to take over the world, and I, I got into um, you know some different positions. And I think they all were filled with uh, illusions. And so, to some degree, I think she might have been more prepared. Uh, than 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 we are. I think she had a she had a very good understanding that this was not going to be, uh, but that she was willing to go into it, mm-hmm. um, you know, without any sort of naivety. Yeah. So she she really she didn't, and she had a um, uh, she had to struggle with being around a lot of people that really um, you know aggravated her, and she found ways though to. I don't know. I think it was sort of an expression of, I mean, Amy, if I had to kind of tie it together with the, the so let's think about these two chapters that we read and, and what Heather's brought out. The, the thing that strikes me across both of them is sort of the, the paradox of, 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 of her life. So for example, in this last chapter, she's, she's writing these beautiful prose. She's writing these beautiful, she has these, she's, she's come up with some of the greatest images, mm-hmm. you know, the image of Jesus walking through his garden mm-hmm. and not everybody can be a rose, you know, that right. some of us are just daisies or violets, beautiful, beautiful things. And yet at the same time, the paradox was that was not the experience that she was, that she was living. And so, you know, she, she, uh, you know, she faced these head on, she faced these paradoxes head on and those things that create anxiety and yeah. disturb most of us, she embraced. So they created, they were no less uh, detrimental or no less fearsome to her than they are to us, but she embraced them yeah. as a way to save souls. Whereas we tend to probably run from them. Well, can I bring out one that really struck me with, with some force? And, and I, it, I didn't recall it from the first time that I read this book, which was about the same time that you did um, a little over a decade ago. But uh, apparently that they had, um, they, they, they had a bout with, or a, a pandemic, I guess, of influenza. Yes. And nearly everyone 
uh, in the convent was was struck down by it, except for Therese and maybe one or two other sisters. And so they were left caring for everyone. And it, it was it, it was apparently just a, a really horrific experience, as we can imagine. Yet, uh, Therese, she, she was she was very um, she, she didn't dwell on it. Uh, she, she did indicate that it was um, that it was a, a really trying time. But right. that, that one, that story really struck me, maybe just, you know, I'm sure because of, of what we've gone through. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they 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 did. They had a um, you know, there is that time that the influenza came through and and. That would have to be a very unenchanting moment, you know, and, and yet yeah. one thing that Therese does, Therese is always enchanting us. She's enchanting us with uh, what she says and, and what she writes and the bravery with which she goes through mm-hmm. things. But yet, um, you know, who was uh, who was being Therese to help Therese? Like, wait, Therese helps us. Mm-hmm. Therese. And of course, it's the Lord and the Holy Spirit yeah. helping us. But she had you know, her relationship with the Lord was uh, such that she, um, she could abandon uh, herself to him. And she, you know, one of the things that was big with Therese was this, you know, and it, true with all religious is the, you know, the obedience. And so she found through obedience, you know, the, the grace to actually fulfill her desires. And I think that's kind of, you know, what I was referencing before was this notion that how do you resolve Let's go say go go back to the the first chapter we read today, the unresolved tension. All right, how do you how do you do? And then the then in the chapter the, the second chapter the illusions that we have, which is another form of unresolved tension, right? Mm-hmm. Is that when we have those illusions? And to to me, and this comes not just from reading Heather, but just reading Therese's writings. You know, one of the things that Therese talks about constantly is her is desire. Desire, mm-hmm. desire, desire. And I think desire was was the bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the way that she resolved this tension in a way that was saintly and in a way that saved souls was that she always had a desire. And I think desire, the desire for Jesus, the desire to be united with Jesus um, is the bridge that said, I'm willing to sacrifice being here. I see the other. And I think that, you know, she didn't see, she didn't see an illusion as, oh, the great thing I'm looking at doesn't really exist. Mm -hmm. You know, it existed. There was just a huge gap between what I'm living and the reality of the beauty. And my desire will will bridge the gap. That that is kind of that's how I've always kind of interpreted her is the, the, the world of the kingdom of God and of our Lord and our lady that, and the saints, that's the real world. And, uh, we, where we are is a very unfulfilled world. Yeah. And it's our desire that, that ties that together. And I think I read somewhere where in the catechism, you know, desire was related to hope. And I think desire is probably related to the virtue of hope. Oh, I think that that's so beautiful, Walter, because also I think when you can marry desire with obedience, then that is when Jesus's statement that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think that's where that becomes true. Yes. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, I have a piece here that I, I uh, wanted to bring out too, along exactly these lines. And I think they were 
I really appreciate these. These are words from Heather. And she was talking about this very thing and what you were talking about, Amy, about obedience and, and what that really meant and how to exhibit it. And so most of us aren't in a monastery. Some of our listeners might be, but most of us don't have that sort of, you know, uh, structured, um, um, you know, uh, uh, structure of, of authority. And so what does that mean? What does it mean for us regular folks that are out in the world? And, and, and Heather being a wonderful regular folk uh, who has been out and she's very open. We're not saying anything she doesn't say in the book. She struggles with alcoholism and all sorts of things. And we're, we really appreciate her telling us because we can relate to her because we feel we feel that same thing. And, and she writes in here, she says, obedience in my own life had come to mean restraint of tongue and pen. Wow, that's a hard one. Yes. <laughs> Admittedly practiced with extreme perfection. So, all right, so everybody go on social media and practice ex- restraint of tongue <laughs> and pen. The development of a writing schedule that's disciplined and a daily routine that included prayer, exercise, and such simple practices as making my bed, keeping my living quarters reasonably tidy, and and uh, timely responding to phone calls, letters, and emails. Oh, wow. Now, what's, yeah. <laughs> what's so great about what she wrote is it's very, to me, very Theresean. It is the ordinary, simple things of life in which we are faithful to them and we are, uh, 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 we are devoted and we are disciplined in, yeah. in those things. I think that's very Theresean, simply li- living in a, in a disciplined way with doing the right things and following those faithfully, no matter how you feel. I'm sure Heather doesn't always feel like writing. Yeah. I'm sure that she doesn't always want to restrain her tongue like the, like the rest of us. Uh, she has a, she has a great example where, you know, she talks about somebody t- driving in, in the parking lot and somebody drives right in front of you and takes the parking space, which we've all exhibited and she oh, just that, she yeah. just drove on and found another parking place without even saying anything bad <laughs> <laughs> and you know those are to, to me those are the theresian victories and those are the things yeah. that, that we can offer as sacrifices uh for the salvation of souls so i think she she brings that together beautifully yeah well it she she really does and we hope that our Listeners are enjoying this story, um, Shirt of Flame, A Year with St. Therese by Heather King, because it, it is, it's, it's beautifully written and there's so much richness in there. Um, there there's, it, there's an opportunity to explore Therese's life within the context of our own. And um, it's just very rewarding. So for, for next time, we'll be reading through chapters seven and eight. So seven and eight, which are let's see, July and August. Um, it's actually kind of coinciding with where we are right now in the year. So that's kind of excellent. Cool. excellent. Uh, yeah. So um, let's just, uh, let's see, we had a couple of our reflective questions. Um, we want to remind our listeners again, just to take a, a few minutes, maybe after this episode and think about them. Um, Walter, do you remember your, your question from chapter five? Well, my cha- my chapter five question, uh, uh, reflective question was, uh, how does to think about how does a cloistered nun engage in active charity, and what does that mean for us? So, that question is really that that one that I brought up earlier, which is how does how does how do you do that? 
And if Therese can live an active life of saving souls in a con- in a in a convent, what what does that mean that for for us? for us? And then mm-hmm. the, do you want to do yours for five? Um, yeah, yeah. And mine was, have you ever prayed for a sign from God and received it? And yes. what did that mean for you? Yeah, we had that conversation yeah. around yes, yes signs. Yeah, very, and very, very nice. And then in number six, uh, the the reflective question I had was, that, you know, that Therese had no illusions about the convent, but what kind of illusions might we have, which you, you talked about and we talked about. So what kind of illusions do we have? And how do we really think about that in light of Therese's approach mm-hmm. to things? And I would just, I'd um, offer for my uh, last reflective question, who or what in your life is giving you an opportunity to grow in virtue and, and namely in the virtue of uh, virtues of charity and patience. Wow. So what, what kind of either what people or experiences um, are actually an opportunity to grow in virtue? Which is another way of saying what is really annoying you, or who is really annoying you right now? <laughs> I was getting, I was I was just getting ready to say that, uh, i.e., what's aggravating you? <laughs> yes, what is aggravating you, or who is aggravating you? Um, yeah. But really, we can we can flip that on its head and say, no, this is the opportunity to grow in virtue. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, with that, Walter, thank you so much for an, another wonderful conversation. At least it was wonderful for me. Um, oh, I was. I was learning things as we talked. <laughs> I would like to end with one of Heather's prayers that uh, that are at the end of each chapter. So this this prayer is coming from the end of chapter six. So, Lord, relieve me of my illusions that love is easy, that the spiritual path isn't strewn with sharp rocks. Help me to see that maybe my anger is at myself. Anger at a lifetime of doing things I think are going to make other people happy. Help me instead to figure out the things that make me happy and to do them. True freedom from what people think, from failure, from the fear that I'm unworthy or incapable of love is a long way off. So I will just continue to offer up my nothingness along with St. Therese and to seek your will. Amen. Fantastic. And with that, that's a wrap. And thank you all for tuning in. And please join us again next time. Well, thank you, Amy, for leading us as always. And I really enjoyed the discussion today. All right. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll sign off for now. Thanks for listening. If you want to discover enchantment and adventure with St. Joan and St. Therese, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us at heroic-hearts.com.